Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is September 22nd, and we are going to do a slight review of Wednesday's one-to-one draw with D.C. United and a slight preview of Saturday's match against Montreal at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. In the podcast, you're going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda, Mateus Huzetu, Caleb Wiley, and Saba Lopchenitze. I'm also going to answer your many outstanding, excellent questions about the MLS team. Cody's on the board for us, kind of making this thing work. And all I'm doing is babbling incoherently. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean Breeze. Tropical Beach. Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we're going to kind of work backwards a little bit with our audio. We're going to start with Gonzalo Pineda talking about Saturday's match uh, with Montreal. The impact are a decent team. They're a team that does not score on the road. They're scoreless in 10 of their 14 road matches this season, which is a crazy stat. Atlanta United has scored almost 30 more goals than Montreal this season. And here's the most important thing. If Atlanta United defeats Montreal, and by all metrics it should, it clinches a playoff spot, which is a respectable achievement for a franchise that has missed the postseason two out of the past three years. But let's get into what Gonzalo has to say about different things. Here he is talking about the physical and mental state of the team. Yes, yeah, no, everyone good. I mean, I have to update you there. Yesterday, matchup uh, pick up an injury. Yeah. We are waiting for the tests and all that to, to see the magnitude of the injury. Uh, but yeah, he's the only one besides from Aussie, like he's uh, ruled out for tomorrow. Uh, but um, but yeah, everyone good, good spirits. Um, I like that they were a little bit disappointed about tying away. I like that mentality that we're not comfortable um, losing two points on the road when we were winning already. Uh, so I like that mentality from the team. They were disappointed, but now uh, that's what I expect. Like we push past the disappointment quickly and we have a new focus and we have a new goal, which is winning tomorrow. And I can see that response from the team. So I think that's, that's a good sign on the mentality of the team. As I mentioned earlier, Atlanta United can clinch a playoff spot, but their goal is to finish in at least fourth. Fourth comes with potentially two home matches in the first round of the playoffs. Again, it's best of three this year uh, after the eight nine play in game. So it's two home games. It's a home away home setup. Atlanta United plays very much 
better at home than it does on the road. And we're going to get into some of the reasons for that with one of your questions. That's why they want to finish at least fourth. So here's Gonzalo talking about potentially clinching a playoff, but another very important aspect of why of why they need to beat Montreal. Yeah, they know. They know. Uh, they know the importance of tomorrow's match. As you said, yes, you know, you can feel like that might be coming soon, clinching playoffs. I hope we can do it this weekend. Uh, but after that, of course, if we want to really pursue the, the main goal for the regular season being top four, we need these three points. And then, you know, there are some things that are in our hands to, to, to achieve that goal because next weekend, Columbus and, and Philadelphia, they play against each other. So one is going to drop points or both of them. And then we face both, both of them. So for me, it's people told that we at least maintain this, the same distance between us uh, three. And then it's going to be in our hands. It's, it's going to be uh, you know, up to us. But in order to be there, we need to win tomorrow. So we need to win tomorrow. That's very important. Uh, before we win, we have to play good. We have to to, to uh, have consistency in our performance throughout the 90 minutes. And uh, I, I think the players are focused on that. And here's Pereira talking about what Montreal could do that could cause Atlanta United trouble. Well, I, I hate those stats. I hate those <laughs> stats because, again, uh, I always think that football is a fantastic game because anything can happen in 90 minutes. So uh, tendencies and all that is good to know, but uh, at times I hate those those numbers. Um, with that saying, I think uh, Montreal is a team that is very aggressive, uh, aggressive in the way they press, aggressive in the way they, they play. They are... They are a team that is kind of mixed. They try to play from the back. They, you can see that they try to open up. But at times, they can be direct as well. With the two nines, the two wingbacks, uh, they play in the channels. They play a lot of balls in, in behind, trying to use their speed on the wingbacks or, or with their nines. So they can hurt us in that way if we are not alert to the cues to, to make sure that we're in a good position. Uh, and, yeah, they, they have a very specific way of playing that we are aware of. And, we just need to try to match uh, their intensity, their aggression. And uh, at home, I feel like we always uh, have more energy. So I hope that's the case tomorrow and we can play our best game. Now, in the 1-1 draw with DC United, Saba Lopchenitze scored at Line United's goal in the 14th minute, I think it was, to give the team a one nothing lead. Then DC United really kind of poured it on. Uh, should have had a few goals before the end of the first half, but didn't. Finally got their tying goal in the 80th minute for a 1-1 draw. That's the third time in the past four games that Atlanta United was in a winning position only to either draw or lose. So that's seven drop points. Uh, but within that starting lineup for Atlanta United were three homegrown players, Caleb Wiley, uh, Johnny Fortune, and Tyler Wolf. Potato was asked by Jason about how those guys played. Uh, very good. I am very, very pleased with them. I mean, Caleb at the moment has become natural. He's he's playing every game, uh, but uh, Tyler did great. I think in general, uh, the first few passes on his side, he solved those passes, difficult passes, because he was receiving under pressure. He was doing very good, and then of course the goal. We talk about this all the time. The first effort, second effort, third effort, and then the reward will come. 
And as a team, we have to be that type of team that he was pressing the center back, the fullback got the ball, well, the six that was out, uh, received the ball in the flank, and then he sprints back, he tried to tackle, didn't win it, and then he continued pressing. And out of that resilience and perseverance, he regained the ball, and then he put a fantastic pass on, on Saba. And then, of course, the Saba's quality to first time finish that play it was great, but I think Tyler was very, very good, very productive. And then Ajani, I think it, 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 he met the expectation that we had uh, on him. He was very good on the ball, always looking for angles, always brave to look for the ball. He wasn't hiding at all in a difficult place because the field was a little bit uneven. It was, it was very thick, so the ball wasn't moving really well. And he still was looking for the ball. And then defensively, he did very, very well as well. So very pleased with, with those two. And for me, again, Yes, I love home runs and that, but at this point of the season, I'm not looking at home runs, DPs, stamps. I'm looking at the best players. The, the guys are in better form, and that's how I'm looking at that, not for those categories or tags that at times I don't like. For me, they are footballers, and as I always said, um, the ball, the soccer ball, doesn't know the age or where you come from. If you are Argentinian, Brazilian, from Nigeria, from Russia, you, the ball doesn't know. The ball just responds to how good you treat the ball. So for me, it's just like that. And the home runs are, are doing a good job. And then here's Pineda talking about what Atlanta United didn't do well that kind of gave DC some momentum. Yes, I felt that, that DC did a very good job. I mean, their 4-3-3 pressure with Venteke on the left, I think they did a good job in that pressing. Uh, I'm reflecting more in the structure and how we were pressing and and the left side versus the right side where we more capable of playing from the back through the right side and we didn't pick the right side well. Some of the patterns that we used to get out of those pressures, um, probably we were not sharp on those. Um, but in some in some others, we were very good at disrupting them. So for me, it's just, just at times a little bit of sloppy in certain passes, a little bit losing possession very easily, very cheapy. I think uh, it's not good for our style because as I said, we start to lose the control for me, it's always the control comes from doing good with the ball. I have to reflect on the structure, how I set the team to try to have uh, better options. Uh, everyone on the ball should have two or three options always open or on the move to attack spaces. Uh, but also like the players, they need to take more control on the ball, more ownership on possession and, and having better passes. Um, and yeah, that's, that's for me where, where we start to lose control. Uh, and, and yeah, some things we can reflect in, should I have gone back five earlier, not like those those questions, it's always the same. It's always, I do that and then we lose the game and then, oh, you try to conserve and preserve the result. I do it and we win and then I'm a genius, you know? It's always, afterwards, it's very easy to talk. In the moment of the game, I felt that uh, we were still with good aggression with the 4-3-3 and we still have opportunity to score the second one. Um, and at some point, yes, maybe maybe shut down the game with the back five. Now, within that answer, you heard Pineda say that they may switch to a back five for the Montreal game. I don't think that's going to happen um, for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to go into right now. But the team does get a week off next week, so it could drill playing with a back five if it wanted to make a tactical, tactical switch in games, particularly against Philadelphia, particularly against Columbus, particularly for the playoffs, if it's trying to really – hold on to that lead and advance. Here's Pineda talking about that. Well, it's always, I don't know, I don't, I don't deal well with 
those statements of <laughs> back five is more defensive, back four is more attacking minded. I mean, it, it, it all depends on the style of the team. And at times, yes, depends on who you're facing, what type of team you have, what type of personnel, what makes more sense, tactics, structures. I mean, um, you can say that in a back four, you are building with four. In a back five, normally you push your wing backs higher and you build with three. So you have, you know, you are more aggressive with the back five. You can be more offensive. It, it all depends on how you play those systems. Um, and But answering your question without the, the tactical formation is not my style to drop the line mm-hmm. and park the boss with whatever formation and then counter. It's not my style. It's not what I think the club actually ambitions to mm-hmm. play like. Uh, we like to dominate in possession, to be exciting to the fans and fast combinations, quick combinations, trying to, to be the dominant team, uh, especially at home. I mean, th- that's the style of the team. And we cannot change that with the formation. Uh, I, I don't believe in that. Mateus Huzetu, who is an excellent guitar player, if you didn't know that, spoke to us today. And here he is talking about the team, if the team is aware that it can clinch a playoff spot on Saturday. Yeah, we're aware, uh, but the most important thing tomorrow is to try to get three points. And then after that, you know, whether we're in the playoffs or not, uh, we'll see. But right now we're, we're treating this game like a final and our focus is to get three points. I was curious to ask him if there's concern about the team dropping some points in these past few games from winning positions. Yeah, I think we're frustrated with, with dropping points uh, against Dallas when, when we were winning that game and controlling that game. Um, and, and the same thing uh, against DC. Um, but I think, yeah, I think all the players were, were believing in, in what we're doing. Uh, we're just focused on, on this next game, and I think the mentality is good. Now, since Tristan Miyamba arrived, uh, summer, summer signing window, Hazetu to me has looked like a, a much different, much more effective player. So I wanted to get his take on why this is working so well, this partnership. I think we know that Tristan is a great player and, and he's helped me and, and also the other players um, around us, Thiago, Shande, um, you know, and other guys on the team. I think he's a player who I feel very comfortable playing with. He's someone who's able to get involved in the attack very easily and, and he also helps defensively. Um, so, yeah, I feel feel comfortable playing next to him. It looks to me like he can cover so much space. It's given you the freedom to get forward a little bit more than maybe uh, in the past. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Tristan and I, we have a good connection. And even during the games with just a, a look, we know who's going to go and, and who's going to cover. Um, so a lot of times I, I stay so that Tristan can can move move forward in the attack um so maybe it, it looks uh it looks easy it's usually it's not that easy but we have a, a good connection and then jason followed up with how did the chemistry come so fast uh, honestly i i don't know how the adaptation has gone so quickly uh franco was a great player too but it's just something natural that it's, you know, playing with him. It seems like we've been playing together for, for three or four seasons. Um, so it's, it's been great. And, you know, he's, um, you know, he's not only helping me, but, but other guys on the team, Thiago. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're very comfortable. 
Now, working backward, we're going to go back to Wednesday's match. Here's Saba talking about his hot start in Atlanta. He's got three goals and two assists in five appearances, which matches what Luis Arjujo had in, I think, 16 appearances this season. It's really great, like, statistic like that. But first of all, you know, I'm a team player. So for me, it's most important uh, if we win the game, so we will not lose the game. So it doesn't matter. Like, uh, the statistic, of course, is really nice. It's a really good feeling and for my confidence also. But first is my, like, Atlanta have to win. Right, like, right. My mind, in my mind, is like that. Here's Saba talking about how he can improve. Yeah, honestly, uh, of course, every time you can be, it can be better, you know. Like, uh, so I'm the guy. Like, uh, I'm not think like I'm okay, I'm good or something, you know. I'm, I'm still, I still need to work, you know, and uh, I have to be better, you know. Like, uh, some couple of moments, I don't like it in my, uh, in my game. So, um, like, I will work about that. You know? One of the things that Pineda told me, I just asked him, how could Saba be better? And he just talked about learning his teammates, learning some of the defensive tendencies and things that the team does. And here's Saba talking about that. Yeah, you're learning. In a way, you know. Yeah. Now, he wasn't being critical. I'm still he was learning talking uh, my teammates also, right. you know. Yeah. So I need sometimes, of course, and they need sometimes also to see my games, you know, feel my games. Mm-hmm. So, but it's about uh, time. And then switching to Caleb Wiley, who I thought had an outstanding game against DC United. He is really becoming a a very effective one-on-one defender, a very good reader of of patterns of play and being able to cover for teammates. Here he is talking about the DC game overall. That we didn't lose. I mean, I think any time that we we play, if we're not going to win, we can't lose. Um, I mean, it's a tough one. I thought that you know coming into the game. We're the better side, um, so to obviously, you know, come leave with only one point is is not what we wanted. But um, like like I said, at the end of the day, it's the point, um, and it helps us. I know that there are some other teams around the league that kind of um, helped with us in our standings. Um, but um, I mean, like there's there's still positives when we were still playing. We still created chances. Um, the goal was really nice. Started with Wolfie winning the ball back, mm-hmm. and it was a great assist. Um, great goal from Saba. Um, so yeah, there was little things that were um, very a positive, um, and then there were some parts that you know weren't so good. But yeah, of course we mentioned earlier the the team has dropped points from winning positions. When I was watching this DC United game, I was thinking about the Cincinnati game when Atlanta United was winning one to nothing and gave up two goals in the 75th and 80th minutes, I think it was, to lose two to one. So I wanted to get Caleb's take on how important it was that didn't happen again against D.C. United. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about a lot. Um, I mean, especially in training, um, when we're playing our small-sided games, um, you know, coach will, you know, say a minute left and we have to really lock in and stay focused. Um, and we got to, you know, have that game mentality, um, even in training and stuff. So then when we come out here, we, we know what to do and how to lock down what to do. Um, and we got to do whatever we have to do to not let that ball go in the back of the net. And when we come back, we are going to listen to y'all's, or I'm going to answer your questions. We have one voicemail question that you'll get to listen to. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. 
Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. You've heard me say this promo, I don't know how many times, if you listen to this podcast. So, you know what the site is. Subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And I would think that you want to know what's going on because there's so much going on. The Bulldogs, the Yellow Jackets, Georgia State off to its first 4-0 start in its history and looked good last night against Coastal Carolina. You got the Hawks about to start training camp. You got the Falcons playing well. You got, oh, what's that other team? Oh, yeah, the Braves, who are World Series favorites. And we, uh, you know, we, we are destroy everyone with our coverage of the Braves. You had all the politics, uh, lifestyle, Music Midtown was last weekend. We covered that very, very well. Just it goes on and on and on. Subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. All right, we're going to start with the mailbag as we do in this segment. That's 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Again, Cody stands by and is waiting for your calls right now. On to David from Piedmont Park. I was calling to ask about the road situation in MLS and why we consider road games so much harder. I hear it in every podcast, every publication. Um, when I looked at the D.C. stands, you know, I saw at least 100 people there in attendance to cheer for their team. Um, so I know it's not a fan thing. It's not necessarily the noise like it would be in maybe college football. Um, but what's the deal? Is it the travel? Is it the... What do you think all the reasons that road games are so much tougher? Thanks, David, from Piedmont Park. We might be neighbors. Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's a it's a multi-layered question, and it is a combination of all the factors that you mentioned. Travel has gotten slightly easier, or I shouldn't say slightly, has gotten much easier in Major League Soccer because now they take charter flights for every match home and, or I'm sorry, there and back, back home. They used to only get four segments a year, so that's two flights. And then the CBA negotiated eight segments, I think it was. And then COVID hit. And to try to get the games going again, they started with charters for every trip, and it's just kind of continued. Now it's de rigueur, I guess, for Major League Soccer players, putting them on par with some other teams. Now the planes they fly in aren't nearly as nice as what some of the other professional sports teams get to fly in, but they get to be home and in their beds within a few hours of the end of most games in the Eastern and Central time zones. But your question is, why is it so tough? It is a combination of travel. It's just a combination of lack of familiarity. Uh, It's a combination of the home teams play with a little more juice, Um, field surfaces, uh, dimensions. The D.C. field is exactly as big as Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but the grass at D.C. United is not good. It has never been good. It's uneven. It's thick. 
it's is you know it's just weird to play on. You saw Atlanta United players slipping and things like that. And it's like whenever you go somewhere for a business trip or I go somewhere for a business trip, you're not at home. So there's always some little bit level of discomfort. And that, those are some of the factors that can make it hard. If you look at Wednesday, for example, there were 13 matches in Major League Soccer. The road team won three. There were five draws and the home team won five. And that's pretty standard stat. Now at Lenny United on the road, uh, I think Mike Conti tweeted this out has the third most road points uh, of teams uh, in the Eastern Conference, I think it was. If you go and look at their record, and I'm going to look up their record here for you super fast, um, they've got three wins, three wins, five losses, seven draws with two road games left. Um, there are a few teams. Orlando is 7-4-4. Four, and four. They're fantastic. Cincinnati is 5-3-7. and seven. Philadelphia is 5-7-3. and three. Um, so Atlanta United is not nearly as bad on the road as it was last year, but those are some of the reasons why it is tough to win on the road in major league soccer. And it's also tough because like, if you're going from East coast to West coast, that just kills you. That just kills the body seeing from West coast to East coast. And no matter how fit you may be, it's just hard to get over that jet lag and just that, that time difference and everything else. On to the traditional questions. First off is Ben and Sherry, who <laughs> asks me, what's up with Jamal Thierry? I read that he's injured, but he's not mentioned in the team's availability report. Maybe he's not officially on the team. No, he's on the team. He's been training. I wrote about him last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. No, last week, last Wednesday was his first training session. Um, he showed me where he read that Thierry was injured. I don't know where that came from. Look, <sighs> I'm not trying to be a jerk about this kind of stuff, but if you want to know what's going on with the team, follow me on Twitter. It's that simple. I'm at every training session. I've been to like 98% of all the games played in Atlanta United. Just follow me. Or if you have a question, email me a question at D-R-O-B-E-R-S-O-N at AJC.com. It's just the things people read on, on different websites that I've never heard of before, but they take as, as gospel. It's bizarre to me sometimes. The next question Ben and Sherry asked, and this that's not a knock on Ben and Sherry. That's just trying to help you all. And what's this about Josh Cohen filing a complaint, a complaint against the team? I know there were rumors of a signing that never happened. So Josh Cohen is a goalkeeper that for some reason Atlanta United supporters really love and hope the team signs. I don't understand why. To me, he's a decent goalkeeper, but that's about it. Anyway, his agent filed a complaint that Atlanta United uh, was keep forcing Cohen to stay on its discovery list, presumably so that he couldn't negotiate with another team. And all that is just, that's an example of even an agent who doesn't know MLS rules. MLS teams can put whoever they want on their discovery list. It doesn't matter. Um, MLS investigated the complaint, quickly said, nope. The team did make Cohen a fair offer, so the team didn't try to negotiate with Cohen. Apparently, it seems to me probable the agent did not understand the salary cap and didn't like the offer, and so he decided to file a complaint, and now he looks like an idiot, to be blunt. So that's what's going on there. Kyle says, long-time listener, first-time questioner. Well, thank you, Kyle. I have two questions. 
You may not know the exact answer, but would you happen to have an idea as to when the U.S. Soccer National Training Center might be slated for completion? Uh, Cindy Pardo-Cohn wishes it were done yesterday. I think they're hoping before 2026, but a lot of that's going to depend upon buying the land large enough to house everything. He continues, I imagine it'll bring a wealth of new jobs to the area and would love to be involved in the sport that I love. The second question is, assuming Tiago Almada leaves in the near future, would you expect the team to bring in another DP, number 10, similar to Almada? Or would they bring in the best available player that may fit the scheme? It seems evident that with the recent additions to the team and Garth's comments about building through the spine, that the team is built around Almada. So to me, it would make sense to try to find another player similar to him. Thanks for all you do with your podcast and coverage. Well, thank you for listening and for reading and for hopefully subscribing. Yeah, they would. I think they would try to bring in another attacking midfielder unless they have a homegrown or somebody they think they can get like on a TAM deal and then they can hold that DP slot. And heck, next year we may not even have DPs anymore. MLS may totally change some of the rules to appease its $2.5 billion partner, Apple, and to help the league become more competitive with others around the world. But if all things stay the same and the team does sell Almada, yes, I think they would more than likely bring in another 10. On the Nick, friend of the podcast, first I'm going to take a coffee sip. Oh, that's good coffee. Hi, Doug. This question is assuming that Atlanta United make the playoffs this year. That's a pretty good assumption. Could you rank the five playoff teams we've seen in seven years? I think right now fans tend to be low on the 2023 team and we'll look back and think higher of this team later on. Well, you got to put 2018 number one because it won the MLS Cup. I think you got to put uh, 2019 number two because it came within a save penalty from hosting MLS Cup again. Ah. <sighs> I think you'll put 2017 number three. I put, think you'll put this one number four. And you'll put uh, 2021 uh, number five. That's how I would rank them. Good question, Nick, as always. <coughs> Excuse me. Eliza says, at the end of the Miami match, it was very sad to watch Joseph walking to the locker room alone. I didn't get to see that moment, but I'm going to take your word for it, Eliza. And I appreciate you sending in your thoughts about that. Uh, sometimes Joseph either hangs around on the field, which could be why he's walking alone. And sometimes he's the first into the locker room. I guess maybe he was one of the last, maybe he was talking to people and that's why he was going into the locker room alone. I do not know. Friend of the podcast, a boonful says this is about the DC United game. We're switching to some comments about that now. Not a great game overall, but I think the new mix of players created a lot of the passing and clearance errors but I'm pretty impressed with Wolf's growing industry. Maybe there's something special emerging there. Honestly, I have to give Gonzalo Pineda some credit for living on the edge like that to try to secure a second goal. We were in trouble defensively for almost all of the game. Lots of ball watching instead of tight man marking at times inside the box. And Lennon covering Benteke or the other DC Towers often one-on-one seemed almost cruel, especially on set and cross, cross crosses. I think a previous United coach would have battened down the hatches very early in the game with a third center back, another destroyer six, or even bringing in a large fullback. It's sort of a ride-or-die approach, trusting in the back line like that. That game could have easily been 5-2 DC, but I can't complain as I guess I prefer this over safety ball. 
A tie on the road with a sort of non-prime starting lineup, I'll take it, he says. Yeah, I, I think I tweeted, I would not have been surprised to see Atlanta United go to three center backs to start the second half. It's a formation they did play earlier this year. It's a formation that, uh, you know, t- two of the three guys in the lineup have played in uh, if they were to bring in Parata. Parata and Miles have played it um, because D.C. was just pouring it on and Atlanta United was a little bit sloppy with the ball, a little bit sloppy with their passes. D.C.'s press was fairly effective. Atlanta United just kind of forgot about switching the point of attack from its left to its right. Its left, it was having some trouble. It had it was okay keeping the ball, but it wasn't generating a lot of attacks down the left. Down the right, it was generating a lot of attacks, but it just wasn't switching the ball over to that right side very often. Uh, but Pinedo is not one who wants to try to play defensive soccer. On to Pat, who says, I felt like I just watched 75 more minutes of the second half of Cincinnati. Lucky to get a point, but the sad thing is we could have easily gotten three. I don't know if easily is the right descriptor there, Pat. I think DC could have easily gotten three. I'm not sure who the player is that will calm things down when we get frantic. Huzetu was the only one close tonight. My man of the match is the guy 10 rows up with a soccer goal design on his shirt that all the DC guys were shooting at. Yeah, they could not put a shot on goal. They took 11 shots in the first half. Originally, the stats said they put one on goal, and then the stats changed at halftime to zero on goal. And a lot of them were in like 12 yards and in, and they still couldn't put them on frame. It was it was almost comical. Michael says, Hey, Doug, I hope your journey to the Capitol was a safe one. It was. Thank you. I bet we are all deflated after that tie. I thought it was a good tie. I'm definitely looking forward to your article coming out tomorrow to get to my question. This was written Wednesday night to get to my question. Home field advantages are legendary, but it sure seems like it's gotten a bit overboard with the team. We should have won that game last night. I do follow other sports and away games aren't nearly as menacing as they are for Atlanta United. Why are away games so tough for Atlanta United? Do stats show away games are hard for most MLS teams? Lastly, do away games harm teams in other sports as much as they do our fellows? I hope you get home safely, Michael from Ormwood Park. I'm, uh, you know, we're going to have to disagree on some of this. I thought DC United could have easily won that game. Um, they didn't because they were so wasteful with their shooting in front of goal. Um, you know, Atlanta United has had trouble on the road. It's been a little bit better this year than past years. I shared the stat earlier. They've gotten um, how many points? Sixteen points on the road this season. I think they got eleven all of last season i'd have to go back and look but i think that's right um with a chance for six more at philadelphia and at cincinnati on decision day um so they're not bad on the road um the red bulls for example are one eight and five on the road toronto is oh ten and four nycfc is one seven and seven montreal is two ten and two the road warriors are orlando which is seven four and four and switching to the Western Conference, Seattle is six five and four. Salt Lake is six five and three. Minnesota is six seven and two. Um, so Atlanta United is better. It's not nearly as bad as I think maybe it seems at times. I don't know about the other leagues and home field advantage, but I would assume in every sport home field advantage is uh, is key. I don't know why we have playoffs when teams play one hundred sixty two or eighty four or. I don't know how many games NHL teams play, but a lot. Makes no sense to me. But you play for home field advantage. 
Adam says, I wandered around Savannah trying to find the match tonight, but no luck. Any word on Apple TV's efforts to get into more bars and pubs? No, but if you had your smartphone on you and you're a subscriber, you could have gone to a bar and put your phone in front of you and watched. I thought. Another vintage case of possession, but limited productivity, fatigue, caliber opponent. Yes and yes. I think they were tired. They didn't want to say they were tired. I was talking to somebody after and, you know, it's like, well, they're soccer players. They're fit. And my retort was, you could be fit and still be tired. It, it's natural. It, um, and the first thing that goes is your mind. And when your mind goes, you stop doing the things that you're coached to do. And then you can't make your legs and your arms do the things you're supposed to do. And then off you go. So combination of things. And y'all got to remember, D.C. is also fighting for a playoff spot. That's a home match for them. They don't want to drop points at home. They're in ninth with 36 points. So they wanted to win, too. And you've heard me say that a thousand times, but the other guys are trying to win, too. Our question of the week comes from Eric with a K, longtime friend of mine, who insults me right from the start. Given your age, and then he puts in my age, I don't know how old Eric thinks I am. I'm a, a very young 83. And the state of the game in our day, did you ever think you would see a national soccer complex being built in Atlanta? When I came down here for college, I barely knew anyone who followed the sport, let alone played. I'm still stunned by this news, says Eric. And he says it was a good point for the five stripes. Uh, you know, so some of y'all have heard some of these little anecdotes that I share and some of you haven't. So I'm going to share them again because it's my podcast and I can. So I grew up in, in Mableton, started playing soccer when I was five years old for a YMCA team, um, switched over to another league. And that's what I played in, played in a travel league, uh, based out of Douglas County. We went all over the state, played other really good teams, played in high school, got, very, very lightly recruited. And by lightly, I mean like a couple of letters and a phone call by a D3 college in Georgia. And I went out and watched the practice and realized I had no business being on the field with those guys. So that did not continue for me. That's where my soccer career mostly ended. Um, I went to Chiefs games when I was a kid. My parents, we went to Generals games. We went to Atlanta Chiefs indoor games, played indoor um, so I grew up with about as much soccer as a person could possibly get in the seventies and eighties. It wasn't on TV. Now you could see it on ABC's wild world of sports. Sometimes you would see soccer made in Germany on PBS, but that was it. Um, and then MLS started after the uh, 94 world cup. Uh, but still the teams in the Southeast came and went Miami, Tampa Bay, for a whole lot of reasons. And then in 2014, Atlanta United was founded, Arthur Blank, uh, as the owner. I can remember, and we wrote about this last week, I can remember standing at the at the little room uh, over here near Centennial Park and Don Garber talking about MLS saying it can't be considered a national league until it has teams in the Southeast. Again, Atlanta was the first. It, I don't, Texas is the South, but not the Southeast. And now you have uh, Atlanta, Orlando, Miami, 
Nashville, Charlotte, two of the biggest stadiums in Major League Soccer are in the South, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium and at Charlotte. Two cities in the South have been selected to host World Cup games in Atlanta and Miami. you got the biggest player in the world playing in Miami and Lionel Messi. Um, I think, paraphrasing Don Garber last week at the press conference, you know, the South is shining brightly in, in soccer right now. So, no, I could have never imagined that the U.S. Soccer Federation would select somewhere in Metro Atlanta as the site for its national training center, the first that it's ever built. It's going to be a massive, massive complex, hundreds of acres, hundreds of millions of dollars. Arthur Blank's $50 million donation is the down payment, so to speak. Um, If you have any tips, if you've heard anything about where they might build it, please email me at D-R-O-B-E-R-S-O-N at AJC.com. I've been doing some digging. I have some sites, but I can't report them because they're not verified yet. Um, But it's going to be a game changer for a lot of different reasons, Um, both for the men's national team, the women's national team, the youth national teams, but the extended teams. I wrote about one of those extended teams, the uh, U.S. uh, women's national, uh, the deaf team. Uh, There's three Atlantans. On its roster, they're about to play in the, their world championships in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, they start uh, Saturday morning. Uh, it was a fun story to write, fun story to do. I want to thank Jeff Crandall for helping me with that and for the, the three women um, who participated. Um, it, it was it was fun to do. I hope you'll read that. It's up on AJC.com now. I've, I've tweeted it out if you want to search for my Twitter handle and and, uh, and just the easiest way would I guess we'll just be do deaf and Malaysia and it will pop up. Um, all right. We're going to wrap up this podcast, kick off tomorrow, Montreal, seven thirty nine PM. Follow my coverage on Twitter at Doug Robertson, AJC subscribe to the paper, subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. The phone in number is 404-526-AJCP. I'm headed up to Athens soon to go see my daughter for a parents' night. If you see me there, say hello. If you see me walk into the stadium tomorrow, say hello. Hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. Pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet... You can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com.